So tonight I'd like to continue with the topic of patience, patience being the supreme virtue. Because in the ever-deepening realization of the Dhamma, really we come back over and over again to the basics for the ground of development. We always need to come back to the basics. And for me, as for many practitioners, and perhaps some of you, you've found that it's true, that we can't uh, think that we bypass and we can just go forward without remembering what the basic ground of our practice is, the basic tenets, the basic developments that we have to continue to grow into. And for me, this has been the practice of patience over and over again. My Dhamma name is Kamala, but my birth name is Paciencia. That means patience in Spanish. And I was named that perhaps because my mother knew what lay ahead of me in my life. (laughs) It's not really so different from any of you, probably, and and probably for many of you, you've had uh, challenges that are even more difficult than I have had. I became really interested in this particular virtue when I heard uh, the saying that the Buddha expounded on that patience is the supreme virtue. And I wondered why. Why is it the supreme virtue? Because that was my name, you know, and maybe I had to pay more attention to that. It's not really a quality that gets as much attention as compassion or wisdom or mindfulness. And so to begin practice, it's always good for me for all of us to come back to this. I like to bring it forth to give it more energy because we don't hear very much about it along the way, except when you're practicing and you hear from your teacher, patience, you need more patience. Over the years, I've seen that it's given me this uh, patience, a lot of endurance which is a quality that comes from it, the ability to keep coming back to the present moment, that kind of endurance. It's not about getting anywhere else, but really the enduring quality of just coming back and starting again. It's also that kind of energy that maintains an inner silent resolve, to open to whatever has to be open to, to face whatever has to be faced in the practice. And that enduring gentle resolve to keep in mind my highest aspiration for complete liberation and not lose sight of that. As the saying goes, the first step depends on the last and the last step depends on the first. But to always stay open to the possibility that with whatever's happening, I can be patient. We can be patient. We can open to this. I heard a story that piqued my interest about this particular virtue. Actually, my husband Steve told me this story. 
during the time of the Buddha, there were certain rules that were laid down for the bhikkhus or the monastics to practice. Like here in retreat, our particular guidelines are the five precepts or the eight precepts, if those are the ones we're taking. This is to protect our practice and to support a sense of safety, not only among us, but a sense of safety within our own hearts. And this helps us to open our hearts to train the mind. So we have until this day what we call the Vinaya, the Code of Conduct for bhikkhus, 227 rules of conduct that the bhikkhus, that the monastics uh, follow to live among one another in as much harmony as possible in one's own heart and among each other. But I was told in this story that in the beginning there weren't those many rules because as difficulties arose and the Buddha created another rule, another rule of conduct to help with the harmony. In the beginning, the only rule was patience, to have patience with one another, to have patience with one's own practice, with how it's going for oneself. And as usual, um, when more uh, monks joined the Sangha, the community of bhikkhus, then more and more rules were made. So this is what became the 227 rules. But even after those, all those rules were put in place, still the Buddha would say, patience is the supreme code of conduct. Patience is a supreme virtue. One of our teachers is known as the energy Sayadaw. He is Sayadaw Upandita. He encourages energetic moment-to-moment alertness. And different Sayadaws are known for different things. This particular one is known for his energy and precision. But whenever he sensed that there was too much, at least in my own practice, I know different yogis have different stories, but at least in my own practice, when he sensed that there was some striving or some pushing in my practice or some wanting to get to some place that wasn't opening in my practice right now, he would say in Pali, he would chant. He could sense it even when I walked in the door. He, he would chant in Pali, patience is the highest virtue. Patience is a supreme virtue. And then he would say in his simple English, the path to freedom is paved with patience. The path to freedom is paved with patience. And then my step would become a little slower because part of the whole process of the interview process was just noticing, the teacher noticing how one walked in the room. Was there a sense of really being present with the body and with the mind if anything was coming up there? So knowing that each step, was there patience with each step? So it's important to remind ourselves of this because it can have tremendous influence on our practice. It's part of the path all along the way. And it's it's easy to forget this. 
It influences our spiritual involvement, evolvement. It influences our daily lives. If we reflect on our lives truthfully, we'll see that patience is really an old friend. It's helped us get through a lot. We wouldn't be here today if we didn't really have patience in all those previous retreats where we said, I can't do this again. I'm not going to come back to another retreat. I can't do another sitting or walking. But we find ourselves actually doing it because of patience. It helps us to complete the everyday projects of cleaning the kitchen, of sending our children or ourselves to school, of writing that book, of helping others when we've given up on them and given up on our ability to be patient with them, building a house or even an addition to a house. If we've done any of this or any more similar uh, projects, we know that there is patience. They're waiting to be uh, touched into over and over again. It makes it possible to maintain harmony in our relationships, of course, and to restore harmony when it has been lost. I have four adult children, and I remember many times when I was the one who began an argument. You know, I was the one who lost my cool and said something where I should have kept my mouth shut. I should have put that Dharma duct tape on my mouth, but I forgot about it. And something came out that, because of my impatience, something came out of my mouth. And one of my children, now adult uh, children, they would say something back in defense or in reaction or in response. And sometimes it would be with great upsetness that they would say something back. You don't understand me, Mom. You got it all wrong. Or the other things that they say that's not very nice to say in a Dharma hall. <laughs> and I've, I've done it too, saying those things to them. I'm better now at it, but it took time. Sharon always reminds me that when I say a story, to always say that that was in the past. Because <laughs> I'm supposed to be the model now, but it's still hard. <laughs> um, but it helps to restore your patience, to restore the harmony. When you've said something and then it's caused a reactivity, and then you have to be patient with the whole dilemma. I like the saying that patience is the ability to let your light shine even after your fuse has blown. <laughs> that happens a lot to us. It's, it's just a common occurrence that we have to admit to and um, bring some understanding into our lives, into our hearts about There's patience on two levels. There's patience with the outer experience, with whatever's happening with our family, our children, our partners, our jobs, uh, etc. And there's patience with our own inner experience, patience with our impatience, patience with frustration, patience with it's not the way I thought it would be. 
So, of course, if we didn't have patience, we wouldn't be able to learn how to meditate or to stay with it year after year through these hard bits, through the places where we're purifying. We want to be, have a pure heart, but we don't want to be, go through the purification process usually. But it's usually always happening in one way or another. It's a one quality that I've needed to fall back on over and over again. And I uh, have different words for it sometimes, not just the word that I was given the name with when I was born, but this willingness to wait. So sometimes I just have to ask myself the question, am I willing to wait till this passes? Sometimes people say, someone said to me today, when I asked her, what helps you? What words of advice do you give yourself that can help you through times like this? And the person said, this too shall pass. So something like that, just sort of that um, manifests in our heart as this willingness to wait until whatever is going on passes, until it's no longer happening, until the conditions for that event coming together, they dissolve, they fall apart. So it's this gentle, enduring strength that we can have. Patience is gentle, enduring strength. It can wait things out. It has this willingness to wait until the path is clearer ahead so we can take that next step. Or the patience to take the next step and be willing to step into the unknown and open to that and be patient or be willing to accept what's going on in that moment. I'm just saying all the different ways that we can look at, that we can experience, that we know already happens to us in the inner world of patience. In the early years of practice, I would want to know the teachings right away, to understand them right away. And I wouldn't have this willingness to wait. I would hear the teachings on anatta or selflessness. I would hear the teachings on dukkha or suffering and not really understand what is this all about anyway. I would hear the teachings on dependent origination, even on karma. And somehow I couldn't get it together or be clear about them. But when I caught the thread of this willingness to wait, when I could catch one moment of that, it was a saving grace. I was just allowing that moment of confusion to be what it is and to be willing to wait till things came together, till I could connect the dots and understand the Dharma more uh, thoroughly, more deeply. In time, I noticed that my questions weren't demanding answers. There was just this allowing of the questions to be and knowing that in time, there would be an answer to them. I love this poem by Rilke. It says, be patient towards all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers that cannot be given you.
because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And if we think about it, if we ponder on it, reflect on it, we know that that has happened to each one of us in our own unique ways. The answers have come. Someone today was telling me that there were some questions, there were some kind of needs in that person's life, and the answers just came, not having a kind of grabbiness in the mind, the attachment for a result or seeing our way clear right away, but just being open and having that kind of patient faith that we know things will come in the right time. But what about impatience? Because a lot of times that's what we're grappling with. Patience is the virtue, is the quality that we want to connect with. We want to kind of make a pathway to in our heart so it's easily accessible. But impatience is a lot of times the default setting of the mind. Something happens, outer conditions are in a certain way, and impatience comes right away. We want that noise to be gone. We want the bell to ring sooner, especially the lunch bell or the dinner bell. Uh, There's impatience with those around us. This is normal. This isn't anything that we need to blame ourselves or others for. It's just what the human heart does when it it doesn't have the, the training over and over again. So the habit pattern of impatience makes our to-do list so important. It makes getting things done much more important than anything else. It's more important than our than connecting with our loved ones. It's more important than connecting with our own hearts. When I could see that that was happening in relationship to my own children, in relationship to my family, it's, it wasn't a big deal. But when I could see that that was happening, the to-do list just got eliminated from my life. Really, the to-do list became to do or not to do. To really, that was my list, to maybe have something on the list, but there was an option to not do it. There was an option to cross it out and to really pay more attention to something more important, like my own heart, what was going on there, like noticing something that nurtured my heart, my practice. I live in a beautiful place like this is. I live in in a place that's different in the tropics. But I'm rushing too with impatience. There are a lot of things that I have to do in my Dharma work, a lot of details. And I have to remind myself as I'm rushing from the upstairs down, downstairs to my office to slow down, to really see something more deeply, and to put aside the to-do list for maybe the 
20 steps that I take to get downstairs, to not let it overcome or override or overwhelm my heart, which can often happen. And that can happen for us too here in practice. We were thinking that, you know, all we have to do is sit and walk and eat and do our washing and the simple things of life. But somehow it can get really busy in our little retreat space. We think of something that we have to order or to sew or something that we need to get in the refrigerator. And pretty soon we're just overwhelmed with these few things to do. So it's important to have patience with how we try to have impatience with how we have impatience with what needs to be done and eliminate some things once in a while. I've um, taken up the habit of finding or seeing, opening to seeing, not really finding or looking for, but opening to seeing the smallest thing that opens my heart, a little flower or a little pebble, and really taking a look at it, seeing its beauty, because there's a lot of dukkha in the world and there's a lot of dukkha in our hearts. So it helps to turn the heart and the mind towards beauty sometimes and to really have patience in doing that, to take the time to open to something beautiful. There are these really small little lavender flowers on this um, tree that starts blooming in the springtime where I live in uh, Maui. And they're so small and they're very light lavender, but they effuse the, the most beautiful soft scent. And every once in a while when I'm walking from one place to another, I try to reach up and take one of those flowers, bring a branch down, and just close my eyes and mindfully just smelling, smelling, or mindfully just seeing, seeing, mindfully just knowing appreciation, gratitude in my own heart. This really takes a lot of patience, and this is a beautiful place to learn that, to be able to do that here, to practice that here, and then to take it home and really take that beautiful experience home, make it a practice. This came to me, this habit came to me because of this poem by Georgia O'Keeffe, or the saying, Still, she says, still, in a way, nobody sees a flower. Really, it is so small. We haven't time. And to see takes time. Like to have a friend takes time. So we may not realize how much of the time, even in retreat, we're hurrying to get to the walking practice or get back to the hall or to get to lunch and seeing if there's impatience in the heart or maybe there's patience. Maybe there's this, just this willingness to savor each step, to savor the moment the moment of knowing what's going on in the mind in relationship to whatever's happening out there. 
when we're leaning into the future or holding on to the past, it's usually because there's some impatience there. So we start with to learn patience a lot of times by noticing impatience. An older friend of mine, Alexandra, says, if we're not in the now, which we need to be patient about, if we're not in the now, we're in the ow. Meaning, it's really painful to be lost in the future or the past. When we come back to the present moment, we cringe a little bit, right? I mean, we can be patient with that too. But the heart constricts. It's, it's kind of so limited in that place. But in the place of the present moment, it's so wide and expansive and infinite. There's so many infinite possibilities. There's a story of a young boy who traveled to Japan to a school of a famous martial artist. This story was actually in the Honolulu um, advertiser uh, many, many years ago. So the story goes that when he arrived, he was given an audience with the teacher, with the sensei. And so the sensei asked of him, what do you wish from me? And uh, the boy said, I wish to be your student and become the finest karateka in all the land. How long must I study? asked the boy. Ten years at least, the master answered. What if I study twice as hard as all your other students? Twenty years, was the master's reply. Twenty years, said the student. What if I practice day and night with all my effort? Thirty years, was the master's reply then. And the boy said, How is it that each time I say I'll work harder, you tell me it will take longer? And the sensei replied, The answer is clear. When one eye is fixed upon your destination, there is only one eye left with which to find the way not really fully present when it's like that. Full, complete presence gives us more clarity, a more infinite view to find the way. It's like a shining light. And then we can respond skillfully to what is met along the way. Patience is one of the ten virtuous qualities of an awakened being, or one of the ten virtuous qualities that a being who is on the way to being fully awakened, to being a Buddha, is uh, trying to cultivate in oneself. So I just want to name them just for the sake of putting it out there, planting seeds, but many of you know these already. Generosity is the first one. Then morality or living in harmony, energy, renunciation, wisdom, truthfulness. Resolution is the seventh one, loving-kindness, equanimity, and patience is the tenth one. These are known as qualities that lead to freedom. 
Freedom can arise easily from a virtuous heart, it is said. Why did the Buddha say that it is the highest virtue? Because we see in our own experience that when patience is there, it supports other qualities of these ten uh, virtuous qualities that are called paramis. It greatly supports equanimity. Sometimes equanimity and patience are one in the same. We feel it one in the same, but not quite. In India, the colloquial way of translating equanimity is to see with patience, to see with patience. Usually that means when we see our children or our family members doing this or that uh, in their lives, it may lead to some constriction or some reactivity in our hearts. But we see it with patience. Can we see our own heart with patience? It gives us that quiet strength, that long-enduring mind and heart to carry out our resolve. So it really feeds into resolution or resolve. It's a major part of loving-kindness because there is an experiential quality of deep caring. Patience has a quality of deep caring. We care for ourselves. When we feel what impatience does to our hearts, we know this is not the way. We turn our minds and our hearts to more caring for ourselves, and we see that when there's a quality of this willingness to just wait, to just be, to accept what is, we feel a kind of gentleness, a softness that resides within us. So we know that this is the way to the end of suffering. Just after a frustrating morning um, with doctors and being late for a subsequent appointment, I had a very serious bout of impatience. Of course, this was in the past. (laughs) Actually, it was really in the past, about 15 years ago. And I um, got to my appointment to my friend's house. And on her refrigerator door was a sign that said, it was just one of those things that come just at the right time, you know. And the sign said, infinite patience brings immediate results. And just reading that sign, inclining the mind towards the possibility of just being okay with what is, with what was that morning, I could take a breath and just let it pass. So having this caring for ourselves, this long, enduring mind and heart, we feel more relaxed. We don't have to attain anything in this sitting, in this retreat. We can see the long-range view of it, perhaps, the long-range possibility of it. And when I'm in Burma doing time of uh, self-retreat yearly, this last time I went at um, a certain time in retreat, about halfway through, there was this terrible noise starting at 6 o'clock in the village nearby. And it sounded like the villagers had this machine or a certain group of people had this machine and they were putting big rocks or kind of big boulders in the machine 
to make gravel. It, that's what it sounded like. It was a really awful, awful noise. And with the stillness of the night air at 6 o'clock, it just became more dark. And you could really hear everything so clearly in the women's meditation hall. After a beautiful day, you know, of silence and um, a lot of sitting and walking and a lot of um, respect for the practice there, six o'clock this started. So, of course, I wanted it to end. I wanted to find my way out of the gate into town and yell at the top of my lungs, stop, you know. I wanted to find the teacher and say, can't, what's going on? Don't they know that we're meditating here, you know? I mean, we feel that in retreat if something's happening out of the ordinary here, like, you know, somebody's mopping the floors. (laughs) It's, when I see Burma, somebody's practiced in Burma, oh, I have a big relief in my heart because I know that noises won't bother them so much. (laughs) Anyway, I wasn't so relaxed during that time. I really had to work with it. And um, then I walked to the back of the hall because I saw two of the Burmese women talking to one another. And things are done that way in a very, things are done in a very relaxed way there, like that. Generally, people are very um, respectful. But I was practicing with the Burmese, actually. I went so I could practice with the Burmese ladies. And they were talking a little bit, so I thought they might be talking about the rocks. So I went back there and I said, what's going on? What's happening with all of this? You know, it was the most awful sound. And they said, oh, and they probably weren't talking about the rocks, but they said, oh, probably this is the only time that those villagers can work on that on their business that way. And I said, are they smashing rocks or something? And they they said, yeah, probably. And they were just totally patient with it. You know, that's the way it is. That's the way it was. Actually, when I heard that, I felt a lot of uh, metta in my heart for them. And it was easy for me to turn towards metta. And that's what saved me from the impatience and from the frustration of my heart being closed down. Just having loving kindness for them, that they could do they could do that and they could support their families that way. I'm remembering a, a story someone told me about being in a Tibetan retreat. And there was a lot of noise in the Tibetan retreat because somebody was doing construction next door. And the son of the master, it, it might have been um, Sokni Rinpoche, I think, or Minjur Rinpoche, asked his father, shouldn't we ask them to stop or have this meditation another time? And the father said to the son, if you can't work with this, how are you going to handle the bardo when you die? You know. So this is practice. The bardo are those... Uh, stages that the Tibetans talk about after death, what happens after death. And some of them are pretty um, scary to open to, they say. I I don't know much about it. So cultivating the paramis, especially uh, patience, is really serious work. In countries like Burma, I know about Burma, there are some people 
that uh, take two months of the year, one or two months of the year, to do intensive practice yearly. Of course, these are people who can afford the time and the money to do it. And there are some like that. And then they take the rest of the year to take one of the paramis and really cultivate that, or some of them. And a lot of times when we're in conversation, I ask, what parami are you working on this year? And most of the time, I hear patience. That's the response that I hear mostly of all the paramis. So we can't underestimate its power. Usually, when we hear about a yogi who comes to the Dhamma and with very little practice and just starts meditating, then all of a sudden has a very deep understanding of the Dhamma or how they, what they say in the East experiences the Dhamma completely and purifies one's heart. They say it's because that yogi has come into practice with very developed paramis, highly developed paramis. So it, it sort of is kind of a, um, a clear way to opening the heart, a very open passage to the deepening of uh, understanding and wisdom and liberation. So we can't underestimate the power of all of these uh, paramis, especially patience. In the West, there's an idea that this quality is very weak and really an inactive quality. But I like to read what His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, said about this. When it is said that one should be patient and withstand trouble, that doesn't mean that one should be defeated or overcome. The very purpose of engaging in the practice of patience is to become stronger in mind, in heart. And also, you want to remain calm. In that atmosphere of calm, you can develop wisdom. If you lose patience, if your mind flounders with emotions, then you've lost the power to see clearly. But if you are patient from a basis of altruism, then you don't have to lose strength of mind. You even increase your strength. So this is a very strong quality that has strong possibilities. It brings forth inner resources that I spoke about earlier and makes a way for an intelligent response to life, to the experience that's happening in the moment. Once I heard an interview with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and he was asked about his apparent lack of anger and obvious patience with regard to his situation in his motherland of Tibet. And the interviewer said to him, your land has been taken, your resources, your people have been gravely hurt. How can you handle this with patience, with an open heart? And His Holiness responded, they have taken all this, should I let them take my mind as well? So that really rang true with me, rang deeply, when it's happening in my own world. Do I let my own inner strength be lost? 
So through the years, I've witnessed His Holiness move on, gather momentum, friends, and the confidence of many to support his aspirations for his country and his people. Patience is gathering momentum, too. It feels like a gentle flowing river. This is the palpable experience of patience in our own hearts, in our own lives. We see that this momentum doesn't stop. It doesn't stop and dam up the energy of our minds and our hearts. It keeps moving. It moves around things rather than tries to push things away. It has a quality of non-opposition. It doesn't push against things. It stays connected without being forcefully destructive, like a destructive current. It feels what has to be felt like a river and moves around it. Another quality um, that patience has is that it, it doesn't hold on. It, um, it doesn't need to have things in a certain way or make things bigger than they really are. This happens because of the grasping mind and the aversion mind. Sometimes we call this phenomena the yogi mind, and it's sure to come about in, when we're in retreat in our practice. Yogi mind is making a simple experience or thought into something that is way out of proportion. Steve Armstrong, my husband, has this definition of yogi mind. The magnification of the trivial and insignificant to a crisis stage. And <laughs> so I don't know about you, but this has happened to me. Um, one time I went to Manindra, and this has been more than once when I've gone to the teacher saying, I'm not a good yogi. I'm a terrible yogi. I can't even do the whole walking meditation. I keep moving in the sitting meditation and I sleep too long, or I'm too restless, or whatever. And one time, Manindra just, actually, I sensed his impatience, but maybe it was really wisdom. But he said to me, (laughs) just straight out, he said, on account of your impatience, you cannot be patient with what's happening, on account of your impatience. So he asked me to be mindful of that impatience. Like, what a great idea. (laughs) What a novel idea. This is what I'm here for. Suzuki Roshi said, it's when your practice is rather greedy that you become discouraged with it. When you want conditions to be perfect, when I wanted those rocks to stop being turned into gravel. Suzuki Roshi says, short moments many times. This is better just to, instead of trying to be mindful in the whole sitting, just this moment, just this moment. What I used to do when I did walking practice, because it was so hard to do walking practice for me in the beginning, was I used to say first, I'm going to be practiced from here till the end of the walking um, path. And I'd make this great resolve, you know, really stiff-minded resolve. And I could never do it. 
I could never do it, really. I still can't do it. <laughs> I can do a lot better. But, um, but it's more okay to skip moments. And, you know, it's, I have a good enough mindfulness mind. Sometimes good enough is really good, actually. So then I would start saying, I'm just going to be mindful from here to that little rock over there. And I could make that, and I'd feel really happy with what I could do. And then I felt like I was really developing the right kind of patience, short moments many times, and with the breath too, just the in-breath, just the out-breath. Another time I went to Manindra saying, I felt like I was in a holding pattern and nothing was happening. And I was really grasping for more to happen, for the next place and practice to come about. And I remember his posture, most of all, in the chair when I came to him. And he was sitting just in a very relaxed way. And he said to me in a very relaxed way, which I say to myself and others, too, over and over again, when the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. Meaning, you know, I didn't have to do anything about it. All I had to do was just keep that next step going with mindfulness and patience, that next half-breath going with mindfulness and patience, and everything would unfold. When the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. And it's ripening with every moment of mindfulness, with every moment that those paramis are being developed, that those seven factors of enlightenment are being developed, that those five spiritual powers are being developed. We can tend to try and pull our petals open faster than they're really naturally ready to open, to expect to taste the fruit, the sweetness of the fruit, right now when it's not ready, and all we taste is the bitterness. And then there are ramifications of that. You know, we have reactivity to that. Shortly afterwards, uh, in a, there was a time when I was um, asking uh, a close friend of mine to really practice, uh, come to more practices and to um, hear the Dhamma more. And this was a partner I had long ago. And um, he said to me something that was really important to me about learning about others and allowing things to unfold more naturally and to actually see myself in that light more and more. So when I was kind of asking him, over and over again, why didn't you come to a Dharma talk or attend this retreat or something? He said, you know, you're pulling my petals open and they're not ready to open. And I really just took a deep breath and took it in. I said, that's really true. And I was really sorry about that in a good way. I learned something from that. Shortly afterwards, a teaching came, like teachings come and the most unexpected places. And this was from a tea box. Um, this is a saying from the Findhorn Garden. Flowers unfold slowly and gently, bit by bit, in the sunshine. 
and a heart too must never be pushed or driven, but unfold in its perfect timing to reveal its true wonder and beauty. So the strength of patience brings forth inner resources, reveals intelligent responses to life, like a gentle flowing river, the constancy of that. It manifests like flexibility, resilience. Where I live, and uh, I used to live in this little town where there was a lot of bamboo. And one time, one of the neighbors, a Japanese woman, told me that in her uh, native place of Japan, they would say, when there's an earthquake, go to the bamboo grove. Because in the bamboo grove, the, the roots go down so strong that the earth, the earth won't pull apart. I'm really not sure that's true, but <laughs> after the earthquake in Chile. But, um, but anyway, that's the metaphor she was giving me, you know, about the strength of the roots of bamboo. They're so strong, she said, that you'll see that in a storm, and I saw that in the little clump of bamboo uh, that was in my backyard, that when a big storm came, the bamboo that was like 30 feet high would, the top of it would bend down and the top would touch the ground. But then when the wind and, and the rain was gone, it would just come right back up because of the roots were so grounded and because of the flexibility of the bamboo. This is one of the qualities of patience, that of sense of groundedness, that sense of flexibility. Uh, qualities that we can feel in our hearts. It brings about this kind of balanced spaciousness, which is the last quality I'll speak about this evening. There are many more, but we feel more balanced and spacious. So just noticing that when patience comes to you or you, uh, your heart opens to it. Um, this brings a quality of equanimity about, which is one of the most important uh, virtuous qualities in the path of liberation. My last adult child now, Therese, she's um, 30 this year. When she was when in her early teens, and she just started to drive. She was almost 16, I think. She drove uh, me and my husband to the, to the um, shopping center one Christmas. And so she was in the driver's seat and thought she was, you know, the boss now. And we were uh, riding in the car, and we were going to get out of the car to go shopping, to go Christmas shopping. And she knows us very well. And at 16, of course, you know everything, right? And you know more than your parents. (laughs) That was my experience with my four children anyway. And um, she knew how we are, knowing that when I go into the marketplace, I have a wide-angled lens on everything. And I like to see this and that and what could make our nest a little better. And Steve is very focused. When he goes into the marketplace, 
He already knows exactly what he's going to get. He goes right for it, and he usually knows if he doesn't know yet, he calls beforehand. Where is it located, on the second floor or (laughs) in this part of the store? He just goes right for it. Straight away, he doesn't get sidetracked. He's a typical hunter, and I'm the typical gatherer of the family. So as we get out of the car, Therese looks at both of us and she says, Now, Dad, you need to float. And Mom, you need to focus. You know, just the opposite of what we are. (laughs) When we can see clearly, we kind of know, you know, what we need in our practice at that time. Uh, People would ask me sometimes, and I have to be candid, How could you have practiced with Upandita all these years? Well, to tell you the truth, I float, I can float a lot. I needed that precision, you know, and I really need to bring up the energy in my practice. And then there came a time more recently that I could um, open the practice a little bit more. But really, if I look back, I learned how to be more relaxed in practice because I had Manindra, one of my first teachers, and he taught me just how to be more open, how to be more relaxed. When the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. And then I could bring a little bit of that into being more precise. And now I see I'm balancing it out all out in a different way. So knowing what our balance needs to be at any point in practice This is important, knowing the kind of balance or deep equanimity, the non-reactivity that we can develop in practice. So developing these strengths, quality of constancy, the inner resources that it develops, flexibility, balance of mind, all of these allow a deepening, a trust in what is lawful to open will open in its own time unfolding and illuminating the Dharma in all its truth and liberating us, our hearts. Just to end, this is a Chinese wisdom. Patience is power. With time and patience, the mulberry leaf becomes silk. So may this be so for all of us. May patience be powerful. So let's sit for a moment before we chant. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.